This is Keywords, and I'm Zoe Cummins. Each week we bring together short, self-recorded stories, poems, essays and sounds, all prompted by a weekly theme. This episode is all about small things. Writers Christine Leach, Radhika Iyer, Sirka Hamilton, Sonia Galdai, Betty Thompson and Derek O'Connor give us small moments of joy, remembered objects and tiny souvenirs of memory turning over and over. But first, a list of moments that keep me going. A new set of bedsheets. The pop of a toaster. Unwrapping your scarf having walked the dog, but also when someone else walks the dog so you don't have to. A good sit down. Unusual words like scurry funge. Scurry funge, yeah, that's actually a word for those few minutes where you rush around cleaning when someone's on their way over. These micro-pleasures that make up a day and put a smile on your face. Like you, listening, having you here to share these things with me and to know that you have a list of your own. Memories may be triggered by your senses, a smell, freshly baked bread or cigarettes or a sound and suddenly you're back there, back to a different time when you were small. Here Christine Leach shares some of those sounds that come back to her. Is there anything more intimate than a whisper in your ear? The bounce of the sound waves on your skin? Is there a memory more instant than the sound of a noise you heard as a child in a strange or familiar place? My granny's front door had a particular click and swoosh. The family had a phrase for it, Dickadordak Daloon. That was the sound of my granny's front door. I wish I had recorded it. It exists now only as a kind of Chinese whisper, translated from door, carpet and locking mechanism to words we can say that echo the noise, Dickadordak Daloon. Dickadordak Daloon. As a kid I loved the staccato of it, Dickadordak and the warm, safe swoosh of the bottom edge of the door on the pink-flowered carpet of the hall. Daloon. Daloon. Depending on the speed of the entry or exit, Daloon. Daloon. And silence if someone was gone, or more sounds in the house if they had arrived. As a kid, my head was below the lock, closer to the floor. The carpet was my domain. We used to be allowed to eat hula hoops arranged on individual trays while we watched TV. My granny's house was in Dublin, which meant UK channels with cartoons we could not get at home in Kilkenny. It meant TV that was on early in the day and late at night when the Irish channels slept. My granny used signals to tell us that dinner was ready. The kitchen was wired so she could switch the living room light on and off from a panel in there. When dinner was ready, the overhead light in the living room would flash off on, off on, off on, and we would uncross our legs and get up from the floor, turn off the TV and file in to the small kitchen table to eat. My granny did not live in a huge house. She could have softly said that dinner was ready from the kitchen door, and we would have heard her, even over the sound of cartoons. The switches were less than two paces from the living room door. What was meant as a visual message was a sound one too. They were made of hard black plastic that clicked when flicked. We could hear them through the wall. I started putting words on sounds when I was very young. Maybe it runs in the family. 
The sound of the key, the sound of the lock, the sound of the swoosh of door edge on floor, the way in and the way out of the house. As a child it meant an adult was home, or had left. Children did not open or close front doors on their own. My granny's house has been sold now. I still feel the urge to drive towards it whenever I go to Dublin. I want to pop in and say hello to her, open the door and hear it close behind me, Dickadordak Daloon. To hear her voice, I would love to hear her voice. Is this why we record sounds? To keep them? To hang on to the memory? To replay history? To preserve it? Those voice messages we do not ever want to delete after someone is gone. I have lost the last one she sent. In my mind I hear her nails on the Formica kitchen tabletop. Tatata, 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 tatata. Rhythmic, staccato, repeat. Nails, neat, eye-level to me as she sits. Is this a sound I can put words on? But I don't have to. I can show you. Listen. The DNA of her nails is in my nails too. And there is no story more intimate than the one that comes in a series of sound waves that bounce off your skin like a strange, familiar sound given language. Tatata, 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 tatata. Dickadordak, Daloon. When you are small and close to the floor. small and close to the floor. I love that line. It makes me think of towering over dolls' houses or crouching over battalions of miniature soldiers, where small people at play create tracks to greater knowledge. Is there a sense that if we can control the scaled-down version, maybe we can manage bigger things, acting and reenacting? Even when small, we know injustice at any age. We sense that we've been wronged but can't express it. Yet even if we can't say it, we can show exactly how we feel. In Tobogganing, writer Sonia Galdey makes her feelings known about a Christmas present she's received. We're living in a hotel on the winter outskirts of Dudenhoven. It is a small family hotel built over five floors, the stairs on each floor steep and dark and wooden. I am a child. We will not stay here very long, though how long is something that changes shape depending on which town or city the gigs will next line up for my parents and their band. We are an Irish band, mostly family, both my uncles, my aunt and my parents. We have travelled by ferry into Rotterdam and driven overland to winter here. The snow is dry and the days are cold. Ours is a set of inexpensive back rooms that run in no particular order across the second floor. We boil tea on single ring stoves and heat tinned soups. It is Christmas. I am given a child's porcelain tea set, a large display box of shiny cardboard with a full 42-piece service. Dinner plates, side plates, eight soup dishes, cups and saucers, a rounded teapot, elegant coffee pot, milk jug, double sugar bowl and salt and pepper shakers. 
a fragile delph, bone white with a thin blue trim and tiny flowers in autumn reds and fey golds, miniature, stunning Germanic accuracy. It is beautiful. I have never seen anything like it. My brother is given a drum kit, a half-size, full-set child's kit that includes drumsticks and brushes. It shines, literally glistens in a sea of pearl silver lacquer finish. It smells of newness. He is a boy. These are expensive gifts at a time when money is unpredictable, when gigs are unpredictable. Sometime in the afternoon I take the tea set in its presentation box to the uppermost flight of the back stairs in the hotel, sit on it as though a sled, legs out front, and push off. I slide down the first flight of stairs to an awkward stop on the return below. I carried the large box back up, balance it on the lip of the top step and holding the banister get on again, steady myself and slide to the end over and over. It is loud and crashing. The ceilings are high and vaulted, the stairwell finished in ornate tiles. But still no one hears, no one comes or asks. Mostly people in the hotel use the clanking accordion elevator at the front of the building. I toboggan down until each small piece of porcelain is broken, the box rattling and somehow heavier climbing back up the stairs every time. I am asked why and I do not have an answer. I am not a destructive child, I am quiet and often shy. I don't know why. It was, so I could not have explained it then, thrilling and right. Small acts of resistance do make a difference. Think of a young Swedish girl who strikes from school to create awareness of climate change. Or even the woman in my local supermarket who always unwraps the plastic packaging and leaves it behind for them to deal with. Bit by bit it all adds up, like compound interest and calories and election votes. Never underestimate the small things or any one person like you listening because you know how these things work. Betty Thompson's poem is about a small act of resistance. A church on wheels built on the Loophead Peninsula in Clare in the late 1850s. The local priest outwitted a landowner who refused to allow Catholic Mass to be said on his property. Father Meehan commissioned a mobile church. It was no bigger than a garden shed and inside was a simple altar. At low tide, the church was rolled onto the shore to the land between the tidelines. This area of the foreshore, this no man's land, wasn't owned by anyone. The rolling church became known as the Little Ark, where Mass was said for five years, weddings and funerals and communion held on the wet sand. In a window pane, a coil of glass shimmers. A stripped altar where vessels gleamed on white cloth. A rusted lectern on dust-glazed planks that stretch to the open door. 
All steady now on dropped shafts, striated and worn like wasted fetlocks. It's a cabin clad in thin boards, painted green or teal. That might have been to honour the sea, to echo the waves on the shore at Kalbaha, where they gathered. The little ark is still there in the church at Monin, a small church inside a church. Maybe we'll each find our way to stand our ground in the sweep of history. In Circa Hamilton's No Time, a woman tosses tiny seeds onto a mucky patch of ground and urges the grass to grow. On Saturday, I go out and open up the box of grass seed and start scattering handfuls around the back garden, which is all mud. It's a nice enough job, I think, as I begin, though the wind blows some of the seeds off course and into little mounds. When Jake comes out, he says it might be a good idea to walk up and down in lines so I would know the bits I'd already covered. I'd been scattering side to side, too freely, like chicken feed or breadcrumbs, so I go up and down for a while, scattering on one side only, and then it's time to do the raking. The gentle raking, as advised on the back of the box. Though I choose just to drag it across, back and forth, while I think about a cup of tea and maybe something sweet. The handle of the rake is rough and splintery and it takes forever, this part. There's always a part that takes longer than you expect and just when you think you're nearly finished. Let it be uneven and imperfect, I think, and come in and make tea and find a biscuit in the tin. I stand looking out at where the grass will grow, I hope. A few birds fly down and I bang on the window and they fly away. Then more come along and I bang again and then I think, I can't stop them all. And they probably think, why not? Isn't this for us? When I'm finished my tea, I go back out to the slim gravel path that divides our garden of muck. I try to imagine it rich and lush with grass and maybe some plants and flowers too. But first the grass. We have to let the grass grow first. Over the next few days I keep an eye on developments. When coming in to put on the kettle, while talking on the phone or taking a break from my desk, I look out the window, searching for any hints of green. When it rains, I think good, it's good for the seeds. And when the sun comes out, I think good, it's good for the seeds. And when it's a bit cloudy, like it might rain but doesn't, or it's a bit windy but then it dies down, and there's no telling the weather anymore, nothing happens. The seeds are still there, visible at the top of the soil. No major developments to report, I think, as I look out again on the fourth day. And then I remember watching someone else, a man in a park in London years ago, laying rolls of grass on a summer's day while I sat under a tree, digging down an inch or so and smoothing out the ground, then slowly rolling out the grass, patting it all down neatly with a shovel and cutting off any extraneous bits, like he was fitting a carpet. A shiny, luscious one that feels good in bare feet. It'll grow in no time, my son says, coming to stand beside me at the window to look out. He must have heard this phrase from an adult, from me perhaps, when he was excited about something and couldn't wait. Are we in the no time, I ask, and he looks up at me. He's thinking hard. Yes, he says, we're in the no time. 
I'm part of a WhatsApp group with some of the mums from my children's school. Some people hate those tiny pings that come in relentlessly on their phones. But in this particular group, I welcome them. The name of the group is The Millions. It's after a Paolo Coelho quote. Friendship isn't a big thing. It's a million little things. Quick chats on the way to and from collections. A smile, borrowed socks, sports gear. Are you going to? Are you there yet? I'll see you there. What page is the English-Irish maths homework? Sharing joy, sharing frustrations. Can you collect? Can you drop off? Indignation and wins and losses. Glimpses of each other's lives. Joining each other for small moments throughout the day. Building each other up in tiny ways. In Radhika Iyer's piece, it's different. You see the ways in which we can be brought low. She's too fat to dance, people told her parents. Her arms, legs and hips are too big. Slim people look better on stage, they said. In the bright lights, everything looks big, so big people tend to look even bigger. She has to lose weight or stop. This is how it stopped. At concerts, she was left without costume or makeup until minutes before she was due to perform. She was moved to the back in group dances. An eyeliner was shoved into her eye and she couldn't go on stage with a weeping red eye. On Saturday afternoons, they took long siestas while she waited for a lift to the dance class. Then there was no money for classes. Don't make a big deal, they said. She moved to another country so she could blend in, but she saw that people were small over there too. She felt like a giant amongst the locals. Exercise is not enough, they said. You need to eat less, they said. These will help you be thinner, they said, as they handed her a bottle of white and orange capsules. She swallowed the capsules three times a day. You look amazing. Keep it up, they said. She became smaller and smaller, until she became ill. Don't make a big deal, they said. Your heart is enlarged. That's extremely serious, the doctor said. So she stopped popping those capsules. She got bigger and bigger. You looked gorgeous when you were smaller, they said. Don't make a big deal, he yelled. As he snatched the car keys out of her hands and staggered to the car, she almost lost balance and her hand instinctively moved to her belly. Get in or you can walk home. As the car accelerated, she begged him to slow down and reminded him of the small thing growing in her womb. Millions of women around the world are pregnant, so don't make a big deal, he said. Later, when the car spun on the motorway and crashed into the barrier, she hoped that the small thing would not feel a thing. It wouldn't be the first one to crumble inside her, each previous form retreating in the wake of bigger events. Don't make a big deal, she was warned again, as they heard the sirens approaching. It's not a big deal, her friend said when she told them. They lose control when they consume too much. Don't make a big deal. She looked at other women with babies cuddly beings that were welcome additions to their already perfect lives. She did not know what to do with her little one, 
She cried over big things. She cried over small things. She cried when it cried. She cried when it didn't cry. It's normal, her friend said. You're just tired. Don't let the petty stuff get to you. Don't make a big deal. She still let it all get to her, but she stopped telling anyone. She squeezed them shut in a nook inside her swollen heart and tried to get through each day. She went out for walks sometimes, negotiating the pushchair on roads, pavements and grassy paths. She went to supermarkets where she hid things in the basket under the pushchair. Trivial items like birthday cards, tiny bars of chocolate, little earrings and lipsticks. Not a big deal. That's huge, her friends exclaimed when they found out why she had quit her job. You need to file a complaint. You can't just walk away and make it easy for him. She didn't tell them she had made a complaint to a panel of three men. She had detected the flicker of disbelief in the men's eyes when she recounted dates and descriptions of him grabbing her, rubbing up against her, making lewd comments, showing her pictures on his computer. Do you have proof? Did he call you? Did he send you messages? Did anyone see him doing these things? They asked. No, she replied. Have you told anyone else? They asked. No, she replied. Perhaps you encouraged him in small ways? They asked. No, she replied. We will speak to him without making a big deal. This is unacceptable. I want him gone, she said. He is big. He is important, they said. She was tiny. She was insignificant. Don't make a big deal, she told herself. Finally, in this episode of Keywords, we'll go with Derek O'Connor on a trip to Dublin city centre to a crossroads at the heart of his city. Everybody needs a happy place. In some cases, it's an actual place. In others, it's a state of mind or an actual place that puts you in a state of mind, whatever works, basically. It's not that hard for me to find my happy place. In fact, it makes me happy to share my happy place with you. My happy place is in Dublin. A happy place within a happy place as such. I've lived in a bunch of places, but Dublin does it for me every time. Sad but true. Dublin's got a funny energy since lockdown ended. I asked my mate who works in Temple Bar about it. He says it's crackhead energy. Things tend to feel like they're gonna kick off any minute. Serious Gotham City vibes, he says. Minus the Batman. To find my happy place, you simply walk to the junction of Georgia Street and Dame Street in Dublin city centre. On one corner, you'll find the convenience store they call Gay's Bar, named for its proximity to a gay bar named the George. On the other, you'll find a burger bar called Rick's, now shut, and behind Rick's, you'll see the white go bald sign. I'm already bald, but that's cool. It's a busy junction, from morning till night, a steady stream of locals, tourists, students from the language school up the road, crackheads, assorted headbangers, and the beautifully eclectic array of randomers who constitute the city's denizens these days. Next, I approach the traffic lights. Any set of traffic lights at the junction of Georgia Street and Dame Street will do. 
for your convenience there's one on each corner. Step up, I press the lights and then I wait. This bit's important. I resist all temptation to break the lights and make a run for it. Wait. Wait. Eventually, the lights turn green, but it gets even better. Every couple of goes, all the lights turn green at once. And as the crowds rush across the road to the other side, I take the horizontal route instead. I head directly for the center of the junction. And then I stop and I breathe. And for one fleeting, magnificent moment, I take it all in. And in that moment, amidst the melee, the cacophony, the city comes to a momentary stop. The traffic held at bay, save the odd cheeky cyclist. I pause and I observe all the small things that make a city a city. I breathe it in. It's all in the detail and it is beautiful. And in that moment, I'm in my happy place. I've found the center of the universe. The moment passes, I quickly head for the other side of the road. Stay two seconds too long and you're putting yourself in mortal danger. Cars, buses, taxis, scooters, buggies, randomers. It's over as quickly as it began. I resist the temptation to immediately do it all over again. You don't want to wear out the magic after all. Sometimes I seek out my happy place and sometimes it finds me. Dashing across town, I find myself swept up in the momentum and happen upon it at exactly the right moment. A moment of casual beauty and it's the chaos of the day. And now, my happy place is your happy place. Feel free to share it. Or better still, go find your own. Thanks to all our contributors in this episode. Next week, we're going down to the woods. Keywords is made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sound and Vision Scheme.